Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. nasally today <laughs> do you oh you sound you don't sound nasally to me you sound beautiful oh good okay i took a shower hoping that that would like break things up you oh, know yes oh my god Averin mackey everybody and vanya arslanian <laughs> <laughs> i am a little bit struggle bus today i will say I am, as one puts it, I'm over imbibed last night. And it's going to be oh. okay. It's okay. It is going to be okay. And yeah. it happens. Yeah. Every once in a while, you know, when things are exciting, like getting to see friends, getting yes. out of town, not okay. having to work. It's true. I did. And I got to go out. We had somebody, wa- well, not somebody. We, my sister-in-law is here. She's watched, she watched the kids last night. So I got to go out to uh, Santa Monica and um, watch a comedy show with some friends. So I really, you know, I did it. I did it right. I spent last night, I found a new like uh, true crime show. Have you watched Candy on Hulu with Jessica Biel? No, but I heard it was good. It's just been, well, the first episode was amazing in terms of the way they kind of told the story and laid it all out and then it's been kind of flashbacky mm-hmm. obviously since then I think I've seen the first three episodes but I love Melanie Linsky she's such a she's so good she was in that show Yellow Jacket that I was super into oh yeah yes Mike, Mike loves that and then Jessica Biel Jessica Biel like is I mean you know almost unrecognizable and she's great and she's like this super horny Christian girl <laughs> it's Ooh, really fun. hilarious yeah. I love that I mean it's not hilarious it's a murder show but so I had a couple roms this week and some and a crime or well I guess okay so my rom this week is that mm-hmm. I got to spend it was only like twenty four hours but I spent twenty four hours in Palm Springs yay I and I Palm got Springs. to see my friend Christopher and a bunch of uh, his buddies we had so much fun it was like a fast and furious trip but like you know maybe not maybe not like romantic romance but like just the most love friendshipness I need I just needed my little well filled and I got it amazing and it actually ins- it's inspired um which uh rom-com I'm doing this week that's right it did and I'm <laughs> so guys I'm and if you are a Patreon, you got some sneak peek uh, information on this. But we are covering today uh, Palm Springs on Hulu. Yes. It's a rom-com. It's a 
It's so good. Oh, my God. I can't it's even. It's hilarious. I can't wait. And then my crime for this week is that I got summoned for jury duty. Uh, oh, wow. So did my hubs. It's they need. I mean, they're trying to make up, right? Because of the pandemic. They I were. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They uh, they definitely he's gotten like two summonses. <laughs> and I'm like, I think you can't ignore those forever, babe. Yeah, I know. And the thing is, is I'm actually watching my child now so i i don't know what i'm gonna do in that case so i have to look into that i'm like i don't have child care i mean that is yeah no i am the child care so you're the child care you'll get out of it then maybe we'll see i'm pretty sure i'll that's keep like a legitimate... everyone updated because that is a crime i just actually you know i think it could be really fun you know oh, i yeah. feel like people are either one way they either really want to be on the jury on a jury or absolutely don't want to i feel like it could be fun but i just don't want to be like i don't know yeah, well, it depends on what kind of case it would be, too, because if it's like, a you know, a serious crime that can take, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks. Right. If right. it's like, I don't know, like some kind of a legal dispute <laughs> it could be yeah. a couple days. Yeah. Do you have any ROMs, any crimes, anything well, sticking had, out this week? I was going to say I had kind of like a fun romantic evening with Ooh. my hubs. We're staying over at my father-in-law's, which is this really nice building and has like a fancy hot tub. And we just, you know, we made dinner and had like a romantic evening. And then we ended up, I don't even remember how we got there, but we were on YouTube and we found all these videos of us from like several years ago. Oh, yes. used to make music videos, not music videos, like videos of us just singing songs together. I remember. And we were just like swooning over how cute and young and... Aww the googly eyes we were making at each other and then we ended up just singing songs for several hours here and it was very romantic and just kind of reminded me that we used to do that all the time and mm -hmm. we don't do that as often anymore i love that Everett. yeah oh. and then the crime will be um i'm in the beverly hills area near uh, a hospital so there's probably going to be several sirens that you okay. may hear <laughs> going off in the background so i'm just going to be bringing the potential crime that way <laughs> perfect i love it well, should we should, do we want to get into the Palm yes, Springs? Let's talk about Palm Springs. Okay. Let's talk about the movie Palm Springs. Let's talk about just the love of Palm I Springs know. that I, we both have. I do enjoy it. Well, let's. How about we start with the movie trailer? Because oh, perfect. I want you to. I want you to enjoy this. It's gonna be a beautiful wedding. Here you are. Standing on the precipice of something so much bigger than anyone here. But always remember, you are not alone. I don't think that we met. I'm Sarah. Niles. Hi. Hi. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. Good day so far? Today, tomorrow, it's all the same. You, what is going on? Hey, get out of the water, girl! Guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. I drove all the way back home to Austin, and I still woke up here. One time, I smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. It was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm going to get out of this. Suit yourself. See you tomorrow. It's 
now what do we do? You just have to embrace the fact that nothing matters. Do you sleep with people in here? Great question. I have, but it takes a lot of work. May I cut in? It's the first dance. And that's a deal breaker? That didn't work. <laughs> Let's waste some time. He's got a bag of sweets in his pocket. You were right. Got him. I can't keep waking up in here. Everything that we are doing is meaningless. I hope it's not all meaningless. At least you have each other. Nothing worse than going through this shit alone. There's a bomb in the cake. Don't worry. I used to be a bomb guy. Stand back! Ah! Oh my god! Let me make it plain. Gotta make way for It's gonna be a beautiful wedding. <laughs> so fun. I know that the trailer's great. I really every guys, if you haven't seen this movie, if you haven't seen this movie, you really do it. Do yourself a favor. It's free on Hulu. And watch it. It's so fun. It's one of those movies, too, that I randomly watched, like, in the middle of the day. I was scrolling through Hulu, and it popped up as, like, a, a movie for me. And I it started the trailer, and I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to watch this. I don't even need to watch the trailer. Yeah. And it was just, you know, like an hour and a half of just laugh out loud, silly I fun. I have to say, it's one of my favorite modern rom-coms that I've I've watched in the last few years. It's great. It's so good. Um, so this movie starts out with Andy Sandberg. He plays the character of Niles, who wakes up on November 9th in Palm Springs. It's the morning of a wedding, right? He is the boyfriend of one of the bridesmaids, and this actress is so freaking funny. Um, hold on. I want to tell you what this actress's name is. Meredith Hagner. She's very, she's like one of those like, um, like everything's like Instagram and like perfect. So no, she's, (laughs) she's fabulous. Um, so yeah, something is off in this world and we we're you're not quite sure what it is, but that evening at the wedding in frumpy Tommy Bahama attire, Niles gives like the best toast I personally have ever heard. (laughs) And (laughs) this attracts Sarah. Sarah is the maid of honor and the sister's bride. Or the the bride's sister. Yeah, thank you. I'm like, sisters of the bride. (laughs) Um, She is played by Christine Milioti. And I am obsessed with her. She's so good. You guys know who she is? She's the one who was like... Well, this is a spoil. (laughs) If you haven't seen... It's a big spoiler. She's the mother. I met your mother. She's the mother. Uh, she was in a couple other things too, but I just, and she's in a lot, but I can just watch her do anything because I truly love all the choices she makes. So this evening, you know, you can tell she's not doing great. She's very depressed. After many drinks uh, with Niles, they end up leaving the party to have sex in the desert. As and, one is wont to do in Palm Springs. You know, and it's a wedding, you know, you should have fun if that's what you want to do. And as he's stripping down, Niles gets shot with an arrow by like some insane person and she she's like what is happening and (laughs) all hell breaks loose Niles is injured and he's crawling into this cave that has this glowing red light Sarah follows him and he's like don't come in here 
but she's worried about him and she gets sucked into a vortex. Mm-hmm. And they both do. And the next day, Sarah wakes up and realizes that it is not the next day, but November 9th again. She is pissed and confronts Niles, and he explains that by following him into the cave, Sarah has become stuck in a time loop with him. Mm-hmm. And so the rules are this. Falling asleep or dying resets the loop, repeating November 9th again and again. Uh, and Sarah is not having this, and she tries multiple ways to escape the loop, but doesn't work. Nothing works. Tries to kill herself, tries to do all these things. Niles basically knows there's no sense in fighting it because he has to also try. Because uh, he's been in the loop a lot longer than yeah, she's been Yeah, and loop. you know, I didn't want to go on the like the Reddit journey, but apparently some people think he's been in the loop for 40 years, and I think that sounds a bit much, but who knows? I, I think it's probably a couple years at least. He's definitely given in. At one point, they talk about like how he's pretty much had sex with every single person at the party, every man or yeah. woman, and because <laughs> he's been in, he's had, had time. Um, so once Sarah, excuse me, accepts the situation, the two become super close and they have a blast together. And guess what? They're getting a little bit in love with each other, I think, which is why it's a rom-com. Um, the people who wrote this, apparently, by the way, this was premiered at Sundance and it was, uh, an acquisition for Hulu, which means that Hulu didn't, you know, produce it. They bought it. it. And it was like one of the biggest sales of a movie for in, in, in history, you know, at Sundance. So I was like, it makes sense though. Cause the movie is so, that good. It really it's is really good. Again, if you haven't seen it, watch it. This one's, it's just fun and silly and, and they have good chemistry. They have great chemistry. Mm-hmm. So we also and JK out, Simmons. Yes. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> so JK Simmons, the one who shot Niles in the back with a, a bow and arrow, is, was, he plays Roy. He's a guest from the wedding. And one night, he partied super hard with Niles. So they got all crazy and did tons of drugs. And in a Coke-fueled episode, Niles accidentally traps Roy in the time loop. And <laughs> because Roy is so mad and he's taking his revenge on Niles. So every once in a while, he hunts him tortures him murders him but apparently he wakes up in irvine california every morning because that's where he woke up that morning so Mm -hmm. he he doesn't do it every he's not there every single day so it's just like you know every couple days weeks who could tell in a time loop um so one night niles and sarah camp out in the desert they get high and they have sex which you know i would even i would even go so far as to calling it making love but the day (laughs) after sarah sleeps in but she, and she wakes up where she wakes up every single day in this time loop. And Abe, her sister's husband to be, comes out of the shower. It is revealed that she had sex with her sister's fiance the night before the wedding. And she feels so much guilt for this. And she's just a vexed person in general. Um, Sarah refuses to talk to Niles about the, their previous night of having sex which actually maybe meant something. And after being pulled over by Roy disguised as a cop, Sarah runs him over and Sarah and Niles argue, leading to Niles admitting he had slept with Sarah multiple times in the loop (gasps) because he lied about that. She asked him and he said no. And Sarah is pissed off and is like, this is kind of like their breakup. She's avoiding Niles. So Niles feels super lost without Sarah and spends multiple days just like endlessly moping around. 
he, in doing so, discovers Abe and Sarah's affair, which is not great. Mm. One day, Niles visits Roy at his home in Irvine, and they actually make up. So that's kind of fun. I'll, I'll watch J.K. Simmons do anything. Seriously. He's so he just brings brings that like commitment an actor like 175%. I just love him so much. Uh, meanwhile, Sarah, she is like, you know what? I'm going to escape this. I'm let's this. I feel like this is what I would do. I'd be like, what can I do? So she starts. She spends her days studying and um, becoming an expert in quantum physics and general relativity. So after some experimentation, she believes that exploding oneself in the cave will break the time loop. Sarah approaches Niles and she's like, hey, uh, this is what I figured out. I tried it with a goat. Do you want to? We, the goat disappeared, you know. So she's like, mm-hmm. do you want to do this with me? Do you want to escape with me? But Niles admits that he loves her and he counter offers saying that what if we just both stay in the loop forever? And Sarah refuses because she wants to get the fuck out. I mean, like... Yeah, she wants it to be a different day. Yeah, exactly. Which I get. Sarah goes to the wedding one last time, and she actually does give a very touching and heartfelt speech to her sister, and then travels to the cave with the explosives. Niles, thank goodness, changes his mind in the last minute and joins Sarah, and he admits that he would rather die with her in an explosion than remain in the loop alone. They kiss in the cave. And she presses the detonator. Guess mm-hmm. what? Her plan works. And it is now November 10th. Yay. Yes. And then we see the iconic, uh, the two of them floating in a pool and the, you know, with the floaties of a nearby house that Niles showed Sarah during the loop. So their owners were never home. But on this day, it wasn't November 9th anymore. They came home. Yay. So they're like, they get, get the busted. hell out. Yeah, they get busted. And then to top things off, to make this just cherry on top sweeter, in it, like one of those mid-credits scenes, mm-hmm. Roy returns to the wedding and asks Niles if their escape worked, revealing that Sarah left Roy a voicemail explaining her plan. But guess what? Niles was confused and didn't recognize him at all. And Roy smiles and is like, I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but that's the subtext. That's and the that subtext. is a, my favorite movie, my favorite rom-com in the last few years. That's basically yes. it. It's so funny, you guys. It's really delightful. I just can, I can't recommend this movie enough. Yeah, it's so much fun. And it's, it's like, a, it's, you know, it's a kind of a, like you said, the fantastical rom-com genre, 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 <laughs> yeah. the genre, we're calling this one the genre, um, yeah, I, li- I like because, that it has know, some it's sci-fi like time in it. loops and, you know, yeah. bending space and time is not necessarily realism, but... Yeah, and it's just such a fun take on that genre or like Groundhog's Day. And it, you know what else I love mm-hmm. about it is there's more than one person in the time loop. Like many movies, you know, that have this, this I don't know, trope. Th- right. It's usually just one person, but this is just, it's complicated and just a fun, wonderful story. Yeah, and they really do have great chemistry. They're very funny together. I dig it too. I'm so glad. So, so has this inspired you with any, any well, crime? Of course it has. <laughs> um, I, I, it's so funny because of the, you know, kind of unrealistic nature of the plot, if you will. I was like, obviously, I can't Google right, true right, crime right, right. time loops. <laughs> so I was like, all right, what about murder at a wedding? And weirdly, I, I found a couple of things about, I mean, horrible things about people you know, 
being murdered like right before their wedding. Oh, that's by upsetting. exes, or oh. in one instance, even the the husband to be because he was had a double life. Um, oh. And so ultimately, you know, Palm Springs is what I decided yeah. to type in. <laughs> and so I am going to tell you the story of the first ever triple homicide in the history of the city of Palm Springs. And I want to just give credit to where I got all of this information. So I got all this info from three different articles. Um, An article by Michael Taylor in the San Francisco Gate Chronicle. Um, an article called A Murder in Palm Springs in DeJour by John Connolly, and an article by Brett Kelman from the Desert Sun, which I believe is like the Palm Springs mm-hmm. area paper. And he's written a many, 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 a many, many, many articles about this. <laughs> oh, really? Um, and what, how I kind of figured this tie it into in, not just location, but you know, when she's trying to figure out how to get out of the loop and she's yeah. got like, all of the things in front of her with like, you know, those big boards people make when they're trying to this, like going down this crime hole, this rabbit (laughs) hole of a crime. um, There's like so many characters and names and like well-known people throughout history um, that I was just kind of like, Oh my God, my brain's exploding. I feel like I'm trying to figure all of this out. So that's also my tie in. I love it. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm excited. So it was October 12th, 1978 in Palm Springs, California, which, as you know, you just visited, is a resort home destination for the wealthy and celebrities and even just like people like us who yeah, were like, uh. in Palm Springs. <laughs> um, Sophia, age 71, was wearing a floor-length dress and gold shoes. Her husband, Ed Friendly, 74, had put on his nice uh, dinner jacket. The couple's housekeeper had set the dining room table with crystal and a six-piece silver, silver service um, and at about 7 p.m., the killer either walked through the front door or was let in the front door of the three-bedroom Mediterranean-style villa at 893 Camino del Sur in the Las Palmas neighborhood of uh, Palm Springs. Mm. Something happened. Words were spoken. A weapon was drawn. And Sophia Friendly turned to run down her hallway when she was shot in the back of the head and died instantly. Oh. Now, Frances Williams, which was the friendly 67-year-old housekeeper, she had just slipped the fish dinner she had prepared into the warming oven when the killer came into the kitchen, uh, forced her to get on her knees, and he shot her execution style. Oh. Ed Friendly, 74, um, was in the back bedroom and ha- was very hard of hearing. So He wore a hearing aid, and he was watching the news, and so police deduced... That maybe he didn't hear what was going on because he couldn't hear very well because he was still sitting in the chair he'd been in uh, when the killer walked in and shot him twice, once in the chest and once in the head. Um, There was nothing stolen, so it wasn't a burglary. Like, things were tossed around. uh, Pants pockets had been turned inside out. But there was like $400 in cash just like sitting in his wallet right there that you could see. Hmm. Um, The only evidence left behind were shell casings from the gun on the floor of the hallway, kitchen and den. And those will eventually become important, but not for like 30 years. (gasps) So the following morning at around 7 a.m., the pool guy had come to clean the pool when he saw what he realized was a body. It was the body of Francis in the kitchen. He called police. Police immediately, you know, descend upon the house. They close off the street. They're, you know... They're asking neighbors. Nobody heard anything. Nobody heard gunshots. And the this is the first time, as I mentioned, in the history of Palm Springs 
that there had been a triple homicide. So obviously it was getting a lot of attention and Mm. police were like, we have to figure this out. One thing that they did notice, even though there was uh, very little evidence other than the shell casings, they did see that a man's fedora had been placed on Sophia Friendly's face, which police thought maybe it was meant to signal, like signal that she's the, the reason this happened, like that she's the tie in, like the motive has something to do with her. However, they're going to have to investigate to figure that out. So there were a couple schools of thought. Some thought that the motive might lie in Ed Friendly's background. Others thought Sophia's Um, investigators would look into both of their families, both of their, you know, business dealings and all of that. And the initial searches into Ed Friendly's side came up empty because even though he'd been an executive at a California horse racing track and police were wondering maybe like there's organized crime involved in track race betting and all that. But ultimately they concluded that it it had nothing to do with organized crime. There was nothing to signify that he was in trouble or in deep with the, with the mob, if you will. Mm. So then they start looking into uh, Sophia Friendly's side of the family where they found a rich cachet of American history replete with lumber barons, trust funds, and the rarefied world of the late Woolworth dime store heiress Barbara Hutton. So, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Woolworth, but it basically was oh. kind of like the first department store. It started off with like two little locations. It was the first person to buy like retail products from the people who made them and then sell them in his stores at the prices that he set. Ah, uh-huh. So Woolworth's ended up, you know, becoming like the first Sears or gotcha, J.C. Penney's gotcha. or Bloomingdale's or something like that. Um, so within a couple of weeks of the murders, police have kind of zeroed in on two possible suspects. Edward Franklin Hutton, who was the son of Sophia Friendly from her first marriage. And a friend of Edward Hutton, a Danish man, I wrote a Danish man about town and con artist, Ooh. Andreas Christensen. And a possible motive for the murders soon became clear. There was a million dollar trust fund that had been a gift from Barbara Hutton, so that's the Woolworth heiress, mm-hmm. to Curtis Hutton, who is Sophia Friendly's first husband and the father of the now suspect, Edward Hutton. Are we keeping all these names clear? It's kind of confusing. So. Yeah. Because <laughs> Edward Friendly has the same first name as the son, Edward Hutton. I see. But anyway, so I'll call him Hutton. How about that? Sounds perfect. So Mrs. Friendly was born Sophia Brownell, and she grew up in the pampered world of San Francisco like high society. Her great-grandfather, Captain William C. Talbot, came to California from New England, and in the mid-19th century, he joined George Pope to create Pope and Talbot, which was a lumber and shipping firm. The company, um, which I believe still exists today, you know, was like a well-respected West Coast paper and pulp company based in Portland, Oregon. And it was at some, at one point it was bringing in like $700 million a year. So Sophia's mother, Sophia Pierce Brownell, it's interesting here in this family. So Sophia, her mom was also named Sophia and she also had a daughter named Sophia. So I guess they were like, we're keeping Sophia in the family. So Sophia's mother, Sophia Pierce Brownell died in Marin County at the age of 97, leaving her daughter an estate worth more than $8 million. Her daughter, Sophia, now 
Sylvia Friendly, the murder victim, married Curtis Wood Hutton in San Francisco in June of 1927 after a social debut that was described as one of the brilliant occasions of that season. So think debutante balls. And her new husband was no stranger to money either. He spent much of his childhood with his cousin, the Woolworth heiress, Barbara Hutton, who had inherited $40 million in 1930 at the age of 18. So I did not figure out the math there, but what? $40 $40 million oh my in today's money is like probably a couple billion dollars. Yeah. All right. So a few years after she received this thirty million or the $40 million, she gave her cousin, who was her favorite relative, you know, she was, she had kind of a hard life. She was the only daughter of her, both her parents, I think, you know, like sent her to live with a grandparents and all this stuff. And then she came into it so much money at a very young age. But her cousin Curtis was like, her friend and he was good to her and he really liked her and he wasn't ever af- like after her money. So she, she really valued him and to show him how much she loved him. She gave him a million dollars to put into a trust. Now, when Curtis decided to join the Navy during world war two, Sophia asked him very specifically if he would change the beneficiary of that million dollar trust to her name instead of their children's names, because God forbid anything happened to him while he's over there. Sure. She wouldn't be able to access that money and they wouldn't be able to access it until they turned 18. But if she's the beneficiary, then she can use that money to take care of them if that should happen. Even though Curtis will survive World War II, the trust's beneficiary will remain in Sophia's name. And it's never Uh transferred back to the kids. And this trust is the primary focus of the investigation into these murders. So Curtis and Sophia had two children. As I mentioned, there's Edward Franklin Hutton and Sophia Hutton. Mm -hmm. So she named her daughter Sophia. And after 24 years of marriage, (laughs) the couple divorced in 1951. And two years later, Mrs. Hutton married Edward Friendly, who was from a wealthy East Coast family. So these are all just rich, rich, richy riches. (laughs) And in the 1950s and 60s, Ed Friendly dabbled in real estate, horse tracks, as I mentioned in other enterprises but according to those in his life and people who worked with him and knew him he was really never able to make much money so to raise capital for his ideas his business ideas he would apparently with Sophia's blessing try to divert funds from the trust fund of his mother-in-law um so he basically tried to like access Sophia's mom's estate money Uh. to to start new businesses, but he was, you know, there were always like other members of the family and lawyers and stuff that were like, Mm-mm, no, no, no. So during her marriage to Ed Friendly, um, Sophia became really alienated from her two children's Ed Hutton and Sophia Hutton, um, where their periodic, you know, fights and arguments ultimately ended up in lawsuits and rewritten, uh, rewritten wills. And then this is a quote from Sophia Friendly's brother. My sister's relationship with her children was never satisfactory, William Brownell said. She wasn't the motherly type at all, and she was extremely selfish. She spent so much money that she never had anything left over for her children, which is pretty shitty. Mm, Um, Doesn't mean you should be murdered. Uh, But still, you know, her kids had privileged upbringings just as she did. Um, Ed Hutton went to the exclusive Kate School, which was a top prep school in Santa Barbara. He graduated from Columbia University School of General Studies, but try as he might, Edward Hutton, I'm just going to call him Hutton, (laughs) couldn't Mm -hmm. keep a job. He worked as a stockbroker for 11 different brokerage firms between April of 1966 and January of 1977. So Mm -hmm. in 11 years, he had 11 different jobs. He just like could not, couldn't make it work. Um, So in the early 1970s, he moved his family to London, where he worked briefly um, for the E.F. Hutton office. But I guess he wasn't related to that Hutton, try as he might, 
to convince them that he was, but he wasn't. And mm-hmm. he wasn't able to hold on to that job for long either. But uh, while he was living in London with his family, his mother, Sophia, and stepfather, Ed, uh, sold the San Francisco townhouse and moved to Palm Springs. But this ultimately was a huge fight, right? Because they were fighting over who would benefit from the sale of their San Francisco townhome. Because Sophia was living there, but her ex-husband Curtis had bought it and the house was actually in the kids' names, but it was her dwelling. And so she was like, I'm keeping the money from the sale of the house to buy my new fabulous house in Palm Springs. And the kids were like, no, but that's our money. And she's like, no, it's not. I hate you. And she cut her kids out of her will. (gasps) Weird. So while living in London, Hutton meets that... 'er ne'er-do-well man-about-town con artist, Andreas Christensen, and the two become really good, close friends. This is, um, sorry, I got all this information from so many different articles, so the font's a little, like, when I was moving stuff around, I'm like, okay, make this smaller. So, (laughs) although it's difficult to piece together Christensen's background, Caroline Hutton, who was Edward Hutton's ex-wife, says, Andreas met Ed in one of the pubs in London. They became thick as thieves. Andreas always had stories of his adventures, either in one business or another, or his time working as a mercenary. He would also have a number of passports. He was dating a lovely woman named Katya Nielsen, and as I would later learn, he took her for quite a bit of money. Katya worked while neither Ed nor Andreas had a steady job. Every morning, the two of them would just walk her dogs while she was at work. That's a direct quote from... Oh, the funny. ex-wife of Edward Hutton. Now, Christensen had a reputation as a man who was constantly getting involved in secretive projects that frequently brushed up against the law. He was raised in Denmark, and he spent some time in the Royal Danish Army, where he was trained as a handgun specialist. And he moved to London in his late 20s and soon was on police's radar as, like, a grifter or a con man. Just a general, you know, schmuckety schmuck. Now... Ed and Caroline Hutton, so that's the son Ed of the murder victim, and his wife Caroline Hutton, their marriage completely fell apart while living in London, and they get divorced. Ed moves back to the United States, leaving his ex-wife and two kids behind while there's like a bitter custody battle. Like Mm. she's just like child support man, and he's just apparently not feeling that. So he moves uh, to Houston, Texas, where he works um, in some capacity of, at a French restaurant that he had invested in. Some said, I read somewhere that he was like maybe a sommelier or just an investor who was real present. Um, <laughs> so in August of 1978, so we're back to the year of the murders, um, Andreas Christensen came to the U.S. Um, to visit his good buddy, Hutton. He arrived in Houston in early September. He had like an H-1 visa, which is a special entry permit granted to a foreign visitor of distinguished merit and ability and who is coming temporarily to the United States to perform temporary services of an exceptional nature requiring such merit and ability. Hmm. So a work visa, (laughs) I think, um, that's fancy. (laughs) All right. So He gets to Houston. He and Hutton spend several days together. Several people would later tell police that they saw both men at various dinners and parties um, in the city. They also remember that what they mostly remember is a bright, witty and charming Danish fellow who wore tinted glasses, had thinning blonde hair and affected silk scarves and wore sharply cut blazers. So he stuck out this this Christensen fellow. He would talk about an island he owned in the Indian Ocean. And then a few days into his visit in Texas, he let it be known that he was interested in buying a 45 caliber pistol to take back to England to use at the fancy shooting club that he belonged to. Now, as a visitor on an H-1 visa, he cannot legally buy a gun in the United States because of his immigrant status. So 
Christensen and Hutton approach Antonio Garrido, who is a waiter at the French restaurant that Hutton's invested in, and they ask him if he would buy the gun. So during the investigation um, and an interview with an FBI agent, they bring in this Garrido kid, the waiter, and um, he tells them that Christensen and Hutton had talked to him about the difficulty in making purchases, and that's why they needed his help. And um, the reason that Hutton couldn't do it was because you had to have a Texas driver's license to buy a gun. And he said that he hadn't been issued his Texas driver's license because he'd only recently moved back to the state. So he didn't have a Texas driver's license and he couldn't do it. Um, But in fact, they discovered in their investigation he did have a Texas driver's license, but they didn't want to be obviously uh, tied to the purchase of this gun. So in any event, on September 12th of 1978, Christensen and Garrido went to a pawn shop in Houston and Christensen picked out a Spanish-made Star PD-45 caliber pistol and some CCI spear ammunition. Garrido registered the gun in his own name. And shortly after that, Christensen left Texas. Hutton and Christensen next went to Santa Barbara so Hutton could visit his father, Curtis Hutton, who was dying from cancer. Now, here's ver- this is a very important thing to note. Under the terms of that $1 million trust... If Curtis Hutton died before his ex-wife Sophia died, she would get the income from the trust, but not the principal. The principal would remain intact until her death. And because she'd now cut her children out of her will, as long as she was still alive, this trust would go to her. And Ed Hutton wouldn't see a penny of that until she died. But if she died before her ex-husband Curtis Hutton, the entire $1 million trust fund would go to Curtis Hutton's two kids. So what that means is that for him to, for detectives basically say like, what this means is that for Hutton to get his share of the trust fund, his very healthy mother had to die before his gravely ill father. Uh. Less than three weeks after Hutton visited his dying dad, the friendlies and their cook, their housekeeper, Francis, were murdered in Palm Springs. And two weeks after that, Curtis Hutton died and, uh, Ed Hutton and Sophia Hutton did get that million dollar trust. They got to split that. But just to put that in perspective, so like three weeks. Wow. Two weeks after the visit, three weeks um, or three weeks after the visit, the the murders happened. And then just two weeks after that, the dad succumbs to cancer. So there was like clearly a time crunch to 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 get rid of mom here. All right. So within weeks of the murders, police have flown to Houston to try to get Hutton to take a lie detector test. He refuses to do that. Um He's basically able to prove that on the day of the murder, he was in the state of Texas, that he was not there. And that is that is not disputed. Um, and so all they have now are like the bullets and this theory, right, that these two men somehow orchestrated this murder so that Ed Hutton could get, um, you know, arre- t- could the get arrested. Yeah. So police test fired uh, the same type of pistol using that CCI spear ammunition that they knew uh, had been purchased by the waiter who told them that the test bullets were the right kind. And it's ex- they perfectly matched the ones at the murder scene, but they didn't have, they never found the gun. Right. And they don't have Andreas Christensen because during this investigation, he just kind of quietly left the United States. So he was no longer in the country. So police contacted um, Interpol and had them add him to the, you know, we need the, if this guy comes up, you know, anywhere worldwide, we'd need to talk to him about a triple homicide here in Palm Springs. So now this is another weird twisted case in this murder. So in February of 1979, a young fella named David St. John, who had also been a waiter at that French restaurant, 
was found dead of a cocaine overdose in the bathtub of Hutton's Houston apartment. Now, David St. John had given police important inside information about the purchase of the suspected murder weapon, and he had been present during many of the conversations between Hutton and Christensen about their need for a gun. Then, in September of 1980, another key witness died. Remember Antonio Garrido, the waiter that told them that he bought the gun? Well, he was shot to death on the side of an Arkansas freeway by a hitchhiker that he had picked up. So now both uh, witnesses are dead. Uh, 26-year-old David St. John died of an overdose of a mix of cocaine and alcohol, which people find kind of, like, suspect because he was, like, a pretty healthy young fellow, and it wasn't like he had you know, a really bizarre or insane amount of mixed things. It was just cocaine and booze. So it seemed a little suspect. All right. So the case basically has gone cold at this point. They've got no murder weapon, um, no way to tie Ed Hutton to it. They can't find this Christensen fellow. But then three years later, there's a break in the case. On June 19th of 1981, Detective Fred Donnell, who's the lead detective on the Palm Springs Friendly Murder case, receives a phone call that changed everything. It was from Interpol. Danish police had just arrested Alfred Borg in a bank robbery. But that wasn't the man's real name when they'd run his prints. His real name was Andreas Christensen. So this is kind of an interesting just side note, but Denmark has always been way ahead of the curve in terms of environmental protection. So all the way back in 1981, it was against the law to leave your car's motor running and idle for more than five minutes. So a passerby called police to report a car sitting outside a bank in Copenhagen with its motor on and a woman just standing next to it, not in the car. So just letting the car run. Um, so an officer responded to basically issue a ticket. And as the officer was responding, Christensen comes out of the bank that he had just tr- robbed. Oh, my God. And so he and the woman were charged with robbery. So now um, Detective Donald, Detective Don Barton and Prosecutor Tom Douglas, they hop on a plane and they're flying to Copenhagen. They're finally going to get to talk to Andreas Christensen. They basically are like, here's the order of things, and we'd like to know exactly where you were in the U.S. So they're kind of talking him through his trip. And Christensen told them that he did go to Houston to see his friend Hutton and that he did buy that gun with the Garrido kid. Uh, And then they're like, where's the gun? And he's like, well, you know, after I got back to Europe, I decided to file the serial number off of the 45. And then I was on this train for Austria and I broke the pistol into several different pieces and I went into the bathroom and I flushed it in the toilet. (laughs) That's what I did with the gun. But I didn't kill them. He also said that he left Houston in a a rental car in the middle of September, drove up through New Mexico and Arizona, and picked Hutton up at the Los Angeles International Airport on September 23rd. And that all, like, checked out with what the police had already figured out. Then Christensen described his trip to Santa Barbara, where he went when Hutton went to visit his dying dad, said he flew back to London for a week to be with his mother on his birthday, and then returned to Los Angeles on October 10th, which was two days before the friendlies were murdered. And why did he go to Los Angeles, the cops asked. And he replied, business, a girl, you know. And they asked him what kind of business. And he said, import, export, I don't remember. Let's talk about something else. Mm. (laughs) And the girlfriend, they asked, who was that? And he said, birds, birds, who remembers birds? Oh, my goodness. I just am like, it's so 1980s, I guess, to call your a lady friend a bird. Um. But whether or not this was a true story, this was a big deal for the Palm Springs investigators because it put their main suspect in the L.A. area only two days before the murders. Um, And Hutton had told police that 
his parents had actually met Christensen when they had come to visit him. So Sophia and Ed Friendly had visited Hutton in London and they had met Andreas that there. So then this makes police say, you know, since there was no signs of forced entry, maybe they just let him in because they knew him as a friend of their son. Mm. So investigators are feeling pretty good. Like they're getting him to talk and they're thinking it's just a matter of time before they get him to, to confess to doing this for his buddy. But that following Monday, they're trying to resume the interview. And for reasons, for reasons, because his name is Christensen, for reasons that were never (laughs) divulged, um, Andreas Christensen decided that he would speak no more. He would not say one more word. And he never uttered another word to police again. He basically went to jail for several years for robbery, but they were not able to move forward with murder charges because they ultimately never got him to confess. And this was like a crushing, crushing blow to these detectives who were really invested. I mean, they flew from the Palm Springs to Copenhagen to talk to this dude, hoping to come back, you know, make arrest, start going forward with prosecution and all of that. Um, But there had been no major disclosures and nothing to create a case against anyone. Now, the Danish uh, police department said that they would be happy to pursue the case against him if the Americans would prosecute Ed Hutton that they could prosecute Andreas Christensen for his crimes in Copenhagen and include the murder of the Friendlies if the Americans would arrest Ed Hutton and also pursue charges of murder against him. But they couldn't couldn't figure out how they could make that stick because any evidence they had at this point was circumstantial. So Barton and Douglas, which was the uh, one detective and the prosecutor, they flew back to California, but Detective Donnell uh, decided that he was going to go look for more information whilst already in, you know, mm-hmm. Europe. So he goes off to London and then to Zimbabwe, which is where Christensen had been living in the years before he moved to Copenhagen and robbed a bank. So in Harar, the capital city of Zimbabwe, authorities tracked down a former girlfriend of Andreas and she led them to a cave at Leopard Rock, six miles from a suburban plantation where Christensen had been working. And in this cave, they found a cache of weapons, hand grenades and a couple of Claymore mines. They also found CCI Spear 45 caliber ammunition. So that was the ammunition oh, that was yeah. used in the, remember the bullet casings are the only evidence mm-hmm. they have. But once again, this does not end up being anything that they can really use because this ammunition had been mass produced and detectives could not isolate it to a specific lot. So there was no way to trace like this specific ammunition ammunition in this cave in Zimbabwe is the exact same ammunition that was purchased at that pawn shop in Houston. There's like no way to prove that. So um, that lead, you know, doesn't really give them anything solid. This ex-girlfriend also told detectives of letters that she had seen um, Christensen write and mail to someone living in Houston. But the letters were written in code. The only thing she really got that she could understand was that they were demanding $150,000. But she didn't have any copies of these letters and she didn't know who they were for. So, again, not really helpful in terms of a court of law. Doesn't look good for, you know, Ed Hutton and Andreas, but they don't have anything concrete here. So Donald flies back to California and in September of 1981. So this is almost two full years after the murders. Prosecutors and detectives are going to meet and kind of figure out where the case is at. Um, they all agreed that Hutton was complicit, that he was 100 percent probably the one who had asked Andreas Christensen to kill his parents so that he could get that trust. But um, after studying the case further, the prosecutors decided that they didn't have enough as evidence to press charges. So no one is arrested 
The case is kind of stalled out. Everything is circumstantial. And sometime in the mid-1980s, Ed Hutton moved from Houston to Rio de Janeiro. Um, But he still kept his apartment in Houston. But he also left the country. All right. So in the early 2000s, Andreas Christensen suddenly turns up in Los Angeles. And um, Palm Springs police say that he called them and he wanted to come in and have an interview with them where he could tell his side of the story. So they were like, oh, my God, yes, please. Um, But he never showed up. So that was the early 2000s. Now, we all know there's no statute of limitations on murder. But over, you know, 20 years have gone by. But in 2007, Rod Pacheco, who was the newly elected district attorney of Riverside County, assigned Chief Assistant District Attorney Bill Mitchell, who specialized in homicides and cold cases, and a longtime investigator named Richard Twiss, to review the evidence and, like, let's see if we can figure this out. So for the first time in more than 25 years, these two detectives uncovered a promising new lead. There was a professor at the University of Leicester in England named John Bond who had developed a way to lift fingerprints off of bullet casings, which would provide a unique signature of whoever had put the bullets into the gun. Ooh. Now, that signature would basically be a physical link between the shooter. You know, It would basically be like finding the gun with his prints on it. And that would have been enough to go forward and press charges. So in 2008, forensic scientists recovered several prints off of the bullets um a thumbprint was their best one um but here was there was a thing the the bullets had been loaded into the magazine with the edge of the thumb and the prints on file um in denmark of christensen uh only showed the pattern of the pads of his fingers so like the part of his thumb that had pushed the bullet in wasn't the same part of the thumb that they'd taken the print from so if authorities wanted to compare prints they were going to need to get a new set of christensen's uh christensen's Prince. So this is um, Detective, Mi- or not Detective Mitchell, this is, oh yeah, sorry, Detective Mitchell who was involved in all this. So his, he says, quote, my initial plan was to somehow get him detained for investigation and questioning and take his prints during detention. And if the prints could be identified forthwith, we would move on from that with a formal arrest. But I left the office and I'm not sure what happened. It's my understanding now that the case isn't being worked. So the reason Mitchell left the district attorney's office in 2011 um, is because shortly after uh, District Attorney Pacheco was defeated and replaced by District Attorney Paul Zellerback, he like reassigned them and then had his spokesperson say that the friendly, like publicly come out and say, the friendly case is not prosecutable. There is not enough evidence to file charges, but the district attorney will review the case if any new evidence comes forward. That was uh, uh, 2011, all right? And it's been 44 years since they were murdered. And that is literally where this case sits today. Everybody no. knows who did it. The prosecutors are afraid to prosecute. And I looked into it, Vaughn. I love that I've just been all about like uh, unsolved yeah. stories. Although I feel like this one's so obviously everybody knows. It's just that they're, they're getting away with it. Um, Wild. I could not find any because, you know, the last time this case was like in the public was in 2011, right? When they were... Like, we can't prosecute. I couldn't figure out if any of these players are still alive. I tried to find out if Ed Hutton was still living. I tried to find out if Andreas Christensen was still living. But I guess there's, like, some very famous soccer player named Andreas Christensen. And I couldn't find anything on this dude (laughs) when I typed in, is he still alive? Um, So if anybody listening is familiar with the story or knows anything, you know, from more recent stuff, I did my darndest trying to find stuff that 
was from, you know, now-ish times in terms of information about any of these people. Um, but I couldn't find it. But that is the insane, twisted, crazy, technically, you know, unsolved first triple homicide in the history of the city of Palm Springs. That's so wild. I, I would watch this movie, like a detective movie about this. Well, Although I, it would be like annoying surprised. at the end because you're like, why didn't it get... I know. Well, that's where you have to do like a slightly... It's based on true stories. There you go. give us the happy ending. Where we right? catch the criminals. Where we catch the... Where we get to say, hey, son, you don't get to have your buddy whack your mom yeah. so that you can get your money. And it's Especially, like, you know, it's all this like intrigue of over, you know... In foreign lands, they go to Zimbabwe. Yeah, it's like There's crossing some... the world trying to catch this these guys. I don't know. It was. I just thought it was fascinating, but also just like all of the names of all of the like the, you know, super rich people. Yeah. That you know are still super rich people today. Their family, you know, generational wealth, if you will. It all still there, but it's just weird how it all ties into it, and kind of surprising that that the, these murders, especially with those kinds of connections, mm-hmm. would, would not actually have been prosecuted. Um, right, right. It's interesting, because even though the son, obviously, was part of the world, too, like, he was apparently kind of a mess, like, couldn't hold a job, clearly needed money pretty bad. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I just thought it was wild, but my, my um, tie-in was just location. The location. That's cool. I Palm think that's Springs. so interesting. And then also just, like, the wild weave of, like, trying to... Well, it's a bit of a loop, of all the yeah, people. Time loop yeah, in a way, and it's yeah, and they're still stuck trying to figure out what happened there. That's my tie-in. I love that. Well, what do we think we learned from these? I mean, for me, I want to say, be nice to your kids, I guess, or don't steal their money in the first place. No, or and then for the Palm Springs rom-com, I just think it's so interesting because it's all about like, is this life worth living? You know, mm-hmm. right? It's like the pursuit of of living it, does it still apply when you know that every day is the same and even when mm-hmm. you die you're going to wake up in the same spot and i say that yes of course it is which mm-hmm. is why they ultimately figure it out and then i say take that lesson palm springs movie palm springs detectives and let's reopen this case and get it solved i love it's it it has got to be a way like if andres christensen has died then i know you can get fingerprints from I know you can like once they could get his fingerprints if he passed away. Yeah. So maybe he didn't pass away because that was all that's all it will take is like once they can get access to his fingerprints. Mm, we should call the um, Palm Springs the police. Yeah. Yeah. Or the pro- I guess we have to call the Riverside County District Attorney's Office because oh, they are okay. the ones that get to decide what what to do. But yeah, that's I mean, nice. I just think like there is, you know, this there's no statute of limitations. Time can never run out. There, that's our time. There you go. Time never runs out. That's right. Oh, you guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. Yes. This was really fun, Avrin. I I was on the edge of my seat for that one, and I really, now I'm like, I want to go do my own little sleuthing. But actually, you know, my favorite thing from this whole episode is you using the term crime hole. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to keep that in my little, we're just going down the crime hole, everybody. Yep. <laughs> True. I, I was I meant to say the rabbit hole of this crime, but I just said crime hole. And I think you're right. I, I I'm sticking it. to it. I'm sticking it. by it. Well we love you yeah. guys. Talk we to will you soon. see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Long crime. 
hope you enjoyed this episode of Rom Crime. If you did like it, please rate, review, and subscribe, all those good things, and share it with a friend who you think might be into the rom-com true crime genre that we're dipping our toes into. Follow us on all social platforms at Rom Crime. We'll see you next week with another Rom Crime with Avern and Vanya. Produced, directed, edited, and researched by us. Till next week.